from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Good morning, security gang, and happy Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. I hope everyone enjoyed their Labor Day holiday and welcome to another episode of the Cyber Hub Podcast. We're live with all of y'all this morning on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, now X, Twitch, and Rumble. Good morning to everyone watching us live. This show is live Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast listening platform. A lot of stuff happening with the long weekend, so we're not going to waste a lot of time and get right into it this morning. And so without further ado, join me for my double espresso. Yes, I was able to retrieve a mug I once broke that I really, really enjoyed this weekend. So that is my Labor Day win. Coffee cup cheers, y'all. By the way, American made made in the USA. Rare to find these days. Without further ado, though, let's go ahead and kick off with Okta. Um, warning about multiple customers that are based in the United States that are being targeted as part of a sophisticated attack in social engineering. So let me give you kind of, not going to read too much into this. I'm just going to give you the bottom line. Here, here's what's happening. Attackers are hitting up IT service desk personnel. They're trying to convince them to reset MFA for high privileged users within a specific organization. Once they do that, they're starting to uh, move laterally within an environment looking at evading defense mechanisms that are in place. Okta are saying that they're not sure if this is a um, financially motivated or malicious one. Chances are it's a little bit of both. In recent attacks, what they've done before calling IT service desk is they've obtained passwords associated with privileged user accounts or manipulated the delegated authentication flow through Active Directory. They then tried to use that as a reason when they called the help desk to get those high privileged user accounts MFA reset so that they can gain access. And this kind of goes into a few different things here, folks. Our attackers are extreme. Our adversaries are extremely sophisticated and they're sophisticated for a very good reason. They understand the value of going after identity and stealing high privileged user identity. And so as practitioners, we have to look at these high privileged users a little bit differently than we do any other user in our organization. And this goes into a few different things. One, all privileged users should be using a password manager. All privileged users should be uh, marked differently in, uh, in, in Active Directory and with your IT service desk to make sure that there are multi-levels of, auth- of authenticating the user calling in. And the MFA request should patch in a manager or should patch in a business leader to help do those. Now, those are little steps that sometimes slow down the process for high-privilege users, but they also add an additional layer of complexity that the threat actors aren't really expecting sometimes. And so you mitigate this threat, and this is whether you use Okta or any additional, uh, any other identity provider, it's a good best practice to do, especially with your high-privileged users. So these super admin accounts are one big shiny target for our adversaries and we've got to do something just a little bit extra to protect them you obviously you you know there's a whole bunch of ways to do this you can do just in time provisioning and then a whole bunch of others but ideally you want to have the human element in there because when you call a business leader and you have it help desk inform them and we know it's a phishing attack at that point you can actually launch an investigation so there's that our second story today 
Threat actors have started uploading and are uploading malicious packages to PyPy, NPM, and RubyGem in a campaign targeted at stealing user information, primarily targeting Mac OS users. Now, again, brass tax here, folks. The brass tax is we've seen this over the last year, year and a half. I've talked about it a lot on the show. Here's what's happening. We're using these open source repositories, whether it be PyPy, NPM, Ruby Gems, wherever. Our guys, our, our team, our, 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 our colleagues are going there. They're pulling what they believe to be the right libraries in order to use them as part of their role. Those libraries have malicious payloads or persistent backdoors in them. And these new campaigns are trying to collect data. So, this kind of goes into really securing the supply chain here and securing the supply chain is making sure that the repositories people are pulling are legitimate ones and finding different solutions to do that. Again, these are this this is the little stuff that really does go a long way in security. It's kind of like the CIS top 20, right? You do those well, you, you, you reduce 90% of your threat surface. Well, another way to reduce this threat surface is to actually have some sort of tool that examines the repositories you're getting and gives you a confidence score. And if someone uses a, a, a repository below your confidence score of that repository, then you can go ahead and uh, examine that repository, take a look at it, have someone on your team or whoever your champion is on the DevSecOps side, take a look at it in order to, to properly examine it. They're publishing all of these. They're hoping that they get you know, 100,000 or 10 or 20,000 people downloading them that gives them persistent, that lets them know that it works. They'll try it again later. Why are they targeting macOS systems? They're attractive. Typically, most high-end privileged users use Mac. That's just the standard kind of thing that, that most threat actors see, and that's what they're going after. So it's something to really keep in mind here with that, by the way, like significantly. So we'll do that. Those are our two deep dive stories here. Let's go ahead and move to what I like to call... Um, this part of the show there is a security breach we've got three of them this morning free cycles confirming a massive data breach that impacted seven million users on the popular website that talks about exchanging used item rather than trashing them the nonprofit organization said it discovered the breach on wednesday weeks after a threat actor put up the stolen data up for sale on a forum on may 30th the warned affected uh, affected individuals to switch passwords the information stolen includes usernames, user IDs, email addresses, MD5 hashed passwords, but no other information was exposed there. So there's that. The second victim reporting a data breach over the weekend was golf club maker Callaway, the very, very popular uh, golf brand, says that about 1 million of its customers were affected by a data breach. Those customers were e-commerce customers that were ordering stuff from their website. The... Uh, Breach is uh, has affected customers of Callaway, Odyssey, Ojeo, and Callaway Golf pre-owned websites. Uh, they've exposed account passwords and answers to security questions, as well as names, mailing addresses, email addresses, phone numbers, and order histories. Um, upon learning of the incident, Top Golf Callaway initiated an investigation, um, and they've now reported this to the main attorney general. About a million people were impacted. No payment or social security information was affected according to the company however security questions were and those sometimes are much more dangerous code search and navigation platform source graph uh, on thursday announced that it also experienced a data breach 
after an engineer accident leaked admin access tokens. The incident was identified on August 30th after the platform experienced a massive surge in API usage that prompted an immediate investigation. According to the platform, the admin access token used in the attack was leaked in a July 14th commit that passed internal code analysis tools. The token had brought privileges to view and modify account information on sourcegraph.com. A user elevated the privileges for a recently created uh, source graph account, gaining unauthorized access to the admin dashboard. Um, so monitoring your APIs, seeing unusual notice, actually doing your job, following up on it, discovering that, hey, <laughs> someone's in here that shouldn't be in here. You know, good for them. Again, uh, tools are only as good as how you put them in there. So there's that. Some notable stories this morning. The M M Microsoft SQL databases are coming under fire from the free world ransomware gang. The tax are tracked as db uh, um, sorry pound jammer they run shell commands to impair defenses and deploy tools to establish persistence on the sql host this investigation by secure Anonics says the typical attack sequence observed for this campaign begins with brute force access and exposed microsoft sql databases after initial infiltration the attackers expand their foothold within the target system and use ms sql as a Beachhead to launch several different payloads, including remote access trojans and a new mimic ransomware variant called Free World, named for the inclusion of the word Free World in the binary file names, a ransom uh, instruction file named Free World contact.txt, and the ransomware extension is Free World Encryption. So the attackers also establish a remote SMB share to mount a directory housing their tools, which include Cobalt Strike, Command and Control Agent, and AnyDesk which is really being used a lot more by attackers. And so if you are using AnyDesk, you do want to try and build some sort of resiliency to the activities of AnyDesk within your environment, some sort of ability to track what's going on and anything that seems a little bit out of the normal should be investigated there as well. The U.S. government is denying that they're blocking sale of AI chips to the Middle East. This is coming after a report last week said that the... Um, U.S. government had initiated restrictions on exports of the chipmakers A100 and H100 products in the form of implementing licensing requirements in order to be able to sell them to some Middle, East, Middle Eastern countries, although those countries were not named in the report by Reuters. This impacts NVIDIA and AMD. In a regulatory filing, NVIDIA said that starting in the second quarter of next year, it would have to apply for a special license to sell subsets of these chips in some countries in the Middle East. And if you're asking yourself, why would that be the case? Why are we stopping these from going into the Middle East? Well, our foreign policy uh, is, is, is run by a bunch of inept individuals. Those inept individuals have allowed China to step up and actually take center stage in the Middle East. So they've left a leadership gap. And whenever you leave a leadership gap, someone else comes in to fill it. That country coming in is China, where we're seeing some of our most better allies like the Saudis warm up to China and slowly walk away from the U.S. So there is some concern about selling American technology to the Saudis, uh, which could at some point find its way in the hands of the Chinese. The Chinese have done this for the last two decades, by the way. They've gone to allies of ours who at some point or not, we've decided that for whatever godforsaken reason, we're not going to follow through on our commitments and done that. By the way, the Chinese were the first in Afghanistan to look at all the military equipment left behind and all the technology there 
to get better understand the capabilities of the U.S. military and whatever was left in Afghanistan when we pulled out nearly a year ago, a few years ago. So keep that in mind. And in final news, a federal judge is blocking the children's online safety laws that were due to take effect in Texas and Arkansas. The Arkansas law, which was known as the Social Media Safety Act, is a broader law. It would prevent minors from creating accounts without parental permissions on social media platforms earning more than $100 million a year. The tech industry trade group NetChoice, which is representing Google, Meta, and the Chinese-owned TikTok, among others, sued in June to block the law on the grounds that it is unconstitutional and would place an enormous burden, an onerous burden, on digital platforms. The more narrow Texas law sought to restrict minors from accessing content that is meant for adults. It was opposed by free speech groups and adult performer industry groups. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that latter part, y'all, that latter part, you know, we want minors to look at adult performer industry stuff. Tell me we're not in a, the internet is not going through. It's growing pains now. So in Arkansas, District Judge Timothy Brooks sided with Matt Choice, saying in a 50-page ruling that the law is not targeted to address the harms it has identified and further research, research is necessary. And I think this is part of when these states and politics pass laws that really have no, 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 no real, um, let, let me put it to you like this, they have no real teeth. So you want to pass a law like this. The right way to do this in a state is to go to these industry groups, to go to Meta, to go to Google, maybe not TikTok, go to uh, X, now Twitter, and say, how can we ensure that our kids are protected on your platforms? And what could we do together to ensure that happens? We're thinking of the following. Are you able to implement this? Can this work? Now, this is going to go to the Supreme Court, likely. And we don't know what the Supreme Court's going to do on this because opinions have been all over the map on where does this fall? But nonetheless, still something significant that deserves to be addressed as a father i can tell you that i don't plan on my young son having any sort of social media until he's at least in his late teens because i just think social media is bad for kids having said that i can't stop it from being on the internet but i as, as someone who's tech savvy i have tools at my disposal to help ensure that at least the internet he sees at home is controlled can't control what he does outside of the house when he's at a friend's house 100 understand that but nonetheless it's one of these challenges here that's something we all have to deal with and that affects us as practitioners because as parents as siblings as people who have loved ones as our own employees go through these challenges it is on us to build bridges and deliver security in a way that helps people kind of internalize it and take it home this is one way to do so these laws seem a little bit far-fetched from Texas and Arkansas, could potentially be redirected towards a more concrete approach. Otherwise, they're just political saying, we tried to do this and the court blocked us, which is useless. You want to defend the kids, work as working groups with these companies to find the right legislation and the right solutions in place. That's it for our show this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with a whole lot more. Until then, have a great rest of your day. Have a great short week, y'all, and stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.